everyone, it's Rob with Four Songs. Before I get to this next episode, I got a bit of news. I'm just going to give you all a heads up that I'm probably not going to be doing this as frequently over the next couple of months as I have been. The day job is ramping up and free time is getting harder to come by. So this is probably going to be on a monthly basis. Maybe every now and then I can sneak one in in the meantime, but just want to give you a heads up. The best way to keep up with me is by subscribing, which hopefully you can do by figuring out however you got to this episode, whether it was online or on Twitter or Spotify. Just hit that subscribe button. Also, if you get a minute, let me know what you think. It's good to hear back from listeners every now and then, so appreciate any feedback you got. So anyway, on with the show. You know, if there's one theme in, in just about all these interviews I've been doing the last couple of years, it's that the music business is a tough one, even in the best of times. When you think about it, it's almost impossible to make money these days, thanks to Spotify, Pandora, and the internet as a whole. Really, the only way to make money right now is by either selling your song to an advertiser and getting on a commercial somewhere, or by touring. And we all know how touring's going the last few years, don't we now? In spite of these hurdles, though, we should be incredibly thankful that so many artists are still keeping at it these days. And my next guest, Seattle-based singer-songwriter Ian Jones, knows this better than most. Back in the 90s and early 2000s, Ian left his Pacific Northwest home to give music a go in California, moving down to the L.A. area near Santa Barbara. While the weather may have been better, the industry has changed dramatically since then, as we've chronicled in this show. So after a good many years, it was time to head back home. He chronicles portions of this journey on his new EP called The Evergreens, released in October 2021. Musically, Ian is inspired by the classics. You'll hear some Dylan, Baez, Neil Young, McCartney, and Lennon in his music. And vocally, you'll hear a bit of a breezy John Denver, which is pretty damn good company when you think about it. I spoke to Ian from his Seattle home before Christmas, just a few hours before playing one of his first shows in a long time. COVID derailed his touring plans for his 2019 release, Results Not Typical, so playing a show these days is indeed becoming a privilege. We talk about how COVID led to the development of the Evergreens EP, which he wrote and produced with multi-instrumentalist Jesse Siebenberg. We discuss four songs from the EP, Evergreens, Liars, Beggars, Criminals, and Thieves, Promised Land, and Last Call. We talk about his inspirations, how he got into songwriting in the first place, and his hopeful plans for 2022. One thing you'll get from this interview is that Ian Jones is serious. He's serious about his work, about his craft, and it comes through in his professionalism and his songs. I gotta say, he is certainly one of the hardest working writers out there, and it shows. So please join me in welcoming Ian Jones to Four Songs. So thanks, Ian, for joining me. It's great to have you here on the podcast. I hope you're having a good day today. Having a great time. Loving it. Been... Yeah. So what has, I mean, I started this podcast last May, so right as when things were getting bad and they got better, and I don't know what's going on now. What have the what's the last really? And I guess we're talking about two years now. I mean, what's it been like for you? When everything shut down, I was poised to do a tour to support the last record, the results not typical record. And then, of course, you know everything shut down. It was and it wasn't just us; it was the whole world shut down. Yeah. So bands from me all the way to Pearl Jam they right. got they got closed. So we figured. If we stayed busy, that would put us a leg up when things did open up. So we thought, what can we do? So I worked with Jesse on putting together the stuff for the EP. I worked feverishly on building my social media content, which apparently, you know, and I didn't really know. I'm kind of old school. Yeah. I didn't realize how big of a deal it was. And uh, and it is. And and if that's the way the game is, then I'll, I'll do everything I can to play. 
So uh, we worked on our YouTube content. We worked on our Spotify posting. We worked on our, you know, getting as much stuff done as we could possibly do to, to kind of stay current at my age, <laughs> which, is, <laughs> which is different than it was in the 90s, I can tell you that. So, um, and then when things started to open up again, we started, that's when we started to book all the wineries. And Jesse and I got the um, EP done while this was all going on. And, you know, then Delta hit, and then there was that kind of road bump. And then now you got this new thing. But I do have a lot of stuff coming up. Right now I'm planning, I've got about 20 shows between now and the end of February. Wow. And then I've got a tour down the West Coast booked. And then what I'm trying to do is get some fly-in dates to like Austin, the Austin area, and then also to Nashville. So there's that. And then once the weather gets better, as far as I have a sprinter van, which is not, and it's not four-wheel drive. So driving that in the mountains is a suicide mission. So I prefer to not go to Montana right yet, but I have I plans to go to Montana, then Colorado, Wyoming, once the weather clears up. So hopefully I'll be doing a lot of shows and touring um, on these two records. And then Jesse and I, this I'm going at end of March down to California on tour, and I'm going to spend two days with Jesse, and we're going to start working on the next record. Okay. So Jesse is your producer? Just to- Yeah, Jesse Siebenberg is my producer. He's a good friend of mine. He's a fantastic okay. producer. He's a wonderful songwriter and musician. I'm real lucky to be able to work with him. Mm-hmm. So we're here to discuss your new EP, The Evergreens, which came out in October. But if you can just tell me a little about your journey into songwriting, because that's always something I, I've in fact fascinated by is just how songs evolve and how, what it takes to get them done. Because I know it's not easy. So what's your process like? And how did you first really, when did you first realize that you were good at this and wanted to make a run at it? I was always one of those closet musicians. I taught myself how to play piano, taught myself how to play guitar. Friend, a friend of mine helped me a little bit. I had this terrible old classical piece of kindling with strings on it, and I taught myself to play. And I was going to University of Washington. I was a physics math major, and uh, I moved into this. I moved into this rooming house, where the reason I picked it was I walked in and there was a stand-up bass beneath a picture of John Lennon. And I thought, all right, I can do this. So as I was moving my stuff in and I was with the landlord and the last thing the landlord said to me before he left was, and no parties. And he walked out the door and as he walked out the door in from the other back door came the, my friend who's bass player. And he was like, party tonight. <laughs> and I, I thought, but the guy, and he goes, ah, he won't know. So we had a party and I remember sitting down and they were all, he was from Berkeley and there was all these musicians there and I was scared. And, but the, by the end of the no- night, we had, loosened up a little bit let's just leave it at that yeah and, and there was passing guitars around and i picked a guitar up and i started playing a a paul mccartney song that was off london town um paul mccartney and wings and he looked at me and he said and as i started the song he looked at me and he kind of cocked his head and i started singing it and he goes whoa 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 you know that song i didn't even know you played guitar hmm. so we started we started playing secretly he and I and I started to play him some of the stuff that I was working on and he and his and his friend they were like man where did you learn how to do that and I was like I don't know just my way my brain works and I've told people that there's so many people that are like how do you write songs do you wait for the music first or do you write the words first or do you sit down and and the truth is that if I sit down to write a song I'm a miserable failure <laughs> I wait for them to come to me and they can come at the damnedest times. 
and it's kind they and there's been i've heard a lot of people say early on i heard a lot of people say it's like fishing you just have to make sure you have a fishing pole in your hand otherwise you won't catch the fish and honestly that's really true you never know when the inspiration is going to come there songs i think i think songs drift around in the universe like clouds and if you happen to be one be there when one goes by and you are in the headspace to be able to realize it and grab it and if your brain works that way then you're lucky Hmm. and i think i'm lucky in that way because sometimes i've had like liars criminals beggars and thieves for example took 20 years to write Hmm. and then songs like if you listen to the results not typical record the she is lost and goodbyes are the hardest words took 15 minutes. Wow. So it just, if you're there and you're dialed in and all of a sudden the inspiration comes, you can get it and you can finish it. But then sometimes you get something that's like a hook and then you get distracted. And if you're lucky enough to remember that hook, it can nag you for 20 years. Like, yeah. like it did and yeah. everywhere in between. So. So let's talk about the Evergreens, which came out, as I said earlier, this past October. We're talking about four songs, the title track, Evergreens, the Liar, you mentioned this earlier, Liars, Criminals, Beggars, and Thieves, Promised Land, and Last Call. So before we get to the songs, though, how did the EP come about? Because I I know you you mentioned your results. The results not typical album came out right before the pandemic. and, And was this sort of just, you said earlier, just needed to stay busy? And as we get through this, well, how did it come about? Had gone, I had gone down to Ojai in January of, oh God, what was it? 2000, was it 2020 when this whole thing started? Yeah. Well, right, right, right. Yeah. Can't even, blurs, whenever so. it was before, before it all broke, I think it was, yeah, it was 2020. And uh, I had gone to California and Jesse and I had started, cause we were going to do the next record, which was going to be a full length. And we started working on some songs and we laid down some demos and then, um, we did these, we did demos um, for Born Again Sinner, Hallelujah, Liars, Criminals, Beggars, and Thieves. And I think, yeah, and Promised Land. Those were the four we did. And I had planned on going back and redoing some of the vocals or whatever, and then doing some more. And then of course, COVID came and shut us down. And so, so that took traveling out of the picture and Jesse and I were talking and at one point he said, Hey, I went back and listened to those demos and I don't know how you feel about this, but they're good enough that we could work them up and maybe you could just do an EP to tide you over while this thing blows over. So we talked about it. And then up here we worked on a, we got into a studio, just, we went and did a session. Me and my guitar player went and did a session for someone else's record. And we were like, wow, this studio is cool. And as it turns out, my guitar player knew the guy who owned it. One thing led to another. We had free access to the studio. So we went in there and we did Evergreens and Last Call. And then sent those down to Jesse. And we were going to do a couple more. And then, and then, and then, some, and then something came along. It was like, you know what? Six is enough. And we'll see where everything lands. Yeah. Well, let's start with Evergreens, the title track. And, and this is the, the song that I, I felt like I heard John Denver, especially in the way you sing the chorus and it's just a gorgeous soothing number so now i understand you wrote this in southern california right as you or was yeah, it- so i grew up up here in the northwest and i used to i used to fish all the time and i was i hunted and i hiked in the mountains and i had a core group of friends that i did most of those activities with 
one guy in particular, David Bickford, he's a dear, dear friend of mine and was my hunting and fishing partner. And I had moved to California to play music and pursued my dream, which looking back, I giggle a little bit, but I'm glad I did because I learned invaluable lessons. I've learned invaluable lessons everywhere I've gone as I've fallen on my face over the last 30 years. And I've had the wherewithal to get up and keep going. And I was down in California, I was in Santa Barbara and I was already, even though it was a beautiful place, I, I missed my friends. You know, I missed, you take for granted being able to look up and see Mariner and the Olympics and the Cascades and the Puget Sound and drive two hours and get to the ocean that's totally wild. And, you know, unlike other places where it's all developed, there's places in the Washington coast that are like they were a thousand years ago. Wow. And, and it's beautiful. And so that's what I'm used to. And I got down to Santa Barbara and it was, don't get me wrong. Santa Barbara is a beautiful place. And there's some beautiful women. I mean, the scenery, everything about it was beautiful, but I didn't have my friends. And so I, one day I was, I was, it was in the end of the summer when we fish for salmon and my friend Dave was calling me every day or twice a day saying, got another 10 pounder, got another 20 pounder. Ooh, 27 pounder. twenty. And I was like, man, knock it off. You got to stop. And one day I was sitting at lunch. I'll never forget. I was sitting at lunch in Red Robin in Santa Barbara, in the bar, watching fishing on TV, watching these guys catch salmon in Alaska. And my phone rings and it's Dave with another 25 pounder. I said, you know what? I'll call you back. So I hung up, called my boss. I said, I'm going to need a few days off. Called the airline booked the next ticket I could called my girlfriend who's now my wife said, uh, I'm going to go visit Dave for a couple of days. And then I went home and I packed up my fishing pole and I packed up my stuff. And like two days later, I got on a plane, flew up. He picked me up and we went right to the Marina, got in his boat and we fished basically nonstop for four and a half days. Didn't catch a thing, which was fitting, but it was great because we had a good time. And at one point he looks at me and he says, or I looked at him, I can't remember who said what, but one of us said, you know, it's 9am, you know, a couple of minutes go by and the other guy goes, sure don't feel like August. Either it was either unseasonably cool or it was unseasonably warm. One of the two, I can't tell, I can't remember. And then he looked at me and he goes, if that's not the first line of a song. And I said, yeah, you're right. So we talked about it a little bit and then I went home. And I was, you know, I was sitting in my garage. So I was sitting there and I was messing around with this progression. And all of a sudden I just remembered it. And I, I just kind of sang out loud. I said, you know, it's 9am sure don't feel like August. And then again, in 15 minutes, the song wrote itself. Since I left my home in the Everglades.
It's just the head, the head space I was in. It's about missing your friends, you know, taking the chance. If you take the chance to go outside of your comfort zone, whatever that means, chances are in the end, you'll be glad you did. You'll be tested. You'll be challenged. And that's kind of what that song is about. Well, my past so sure it set itself, but now I'm not sure what it means. But still each day I rise, hope to start another day, one step closer to my dream. It does feel like the song came quickly, and I've talked to another folks about that, and they said there's really no rhyme or reason as to how it happens like that but it does feel like and, and also the comment i've heard from others is, is there's something special about the song not that they don't love other songs but the ones that come like that there's something more to them do you feel the same way yes absolutely they have a they have a because it's a more spiritual thing because when you got them they were it was you know it wasn't like you had to work at it it and it wasn't like there and it's, i almost feel like in some ways they're not mine I'm just a medium for them, you know, and it makes me again. It makes me super happy. So, yeah. yeah what I like about this song is there. You can feel what you're going through. It, it like you can, there is a sense. I mean, maybe regret's not the right word, but just it kind of builds out with hope, and then kind of toward the end, you you feel the homesickness in a sense. And right, it's it's kind of melancholy. And you, as a listener, you, it's one of those songs where you're just like, I know exactly what you're feeling <laughs> i mean that's not easy to do i don't think at least not to me well and the funny thing is is that there's a lot of people like some of the guys I, i've played with music wise and they everyone's always like oh man you gotta you know we should throw some upbeat songs in the set and we should do this we need to get people dancing and my response to that is no we don't <laughs> you know, everyone loves the mid-tempo melancholy songs and someone's got to write them <laughs> You know, yeah, and I'll take that. I'll be the guy. I'll raise my hand. You know, <laughs> because the other thing about that is that I can then I can play. I can play these kind of songs until I die. You know, I'll be able to when I'm seventy, God willing, I'll be able to get up on stage and play Evergreens. It's true. Take a good look around and notice that my guard's gone down. The price of happiness ain't free. And should the road I ride lead me to the promised land? And should I end up far from where I want to be? Uh, I, I love this song. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Well, so it's funny. So the next song I want to talk about is Liars, Beggars, Criminals, and Thieves. And it sounds like this one was kind of the, the polar opposite in that it took much longer for this to come together. So, so, but obviously this is a take on politics and discourse, but it's interesting. You said it took a long time. 
I feel like yeah. you hit it just concurrently. <laughs> I've never, I've never thought of myself as a political activist. I've never thought of myself as a protest song singer writer at all. Not even close. In fact, I mean, and don't get me wrong. I'm a big fan of Bob Dylan. And I'm a big fan of Joni Baez. And I'm a big fan of Crosby, Stills, and Nash. And I'm a big fan of Neil Young. But I don't feel that I'm the guy to take whatever platform I have and make a stand. I just don't. And so I think, it, was I okay with that? That song probably would have been finished a long time ago. But every time I would work on it, I would get, and luckily for me, every time I would work on it, I would write it down. So I had volumes of verses and bridges and ideas. And then when we were leading up to the last election, you know, and, and every time something would happen, and it doesn't necessarily mean a Democrat would do something or a Republican would do something, but I follow along pretty closely and, and people will say something and then you three years later, you'll see them and they're like doing the total opposite of what they said they were gonna do. And I'm like, yep. Typical. So, and it's historical. It happens all the time. I think politics is a nasty profession, but someone's got to do it. You should be good at it if you're going to do it. Just like if you're a dentist or an accountant or a doctor, you should be good at what you do. And leading up to the last election, presidential election anyway, I was talking with Jesse and I was like, hey man, I got this song. I've been messing around with it for the last 20 years. And so I started showing him and he was like, oh, dude, we got to finish this right now. This is like the time. And I was like, I was kind of thinking the same thing. So we took 16 or 17 verses and like eight bridges and took them all apart and put it together. And the one thing we had, we had a goal. We had like rules that were like, it can't be about one side or the other. It has to incorporate current or somewhat current events and, you know, it can't name call, it can't do anything, but it has to, everyone, everyone has to be able to relate with it. Mm -hmm. And I feel we accomplished that. And then I, jokingly, we said, and if we're going to do it, we should make it sound like it was recorded in like the late 60s, or early 70s. Yeah, well, that's in the lyrics. The opening line is kind of from that, from, from Dylan. It seemed like the very, reference. Very Dylan-y. Yeah. That was the hardest you know, come gather around all you people and bear witness with me now. It was really hard to sing that line with a straight face because that's totally not who I am, but it fits the song. And I'm like, okay, I can do that for the song. Come gather around all you people and bear witness with me now. Oh, the promises we've all been made only to be let down. Dividing all the people, it spreads like a disease. It's all brought on by the liars, criminals, beggars, and thieves. And it's clear that, and that's what I like about it, because I'm outside of D.C. I grew up in and around Washington my whole life, so I... You know, I fully understand how it's not just one party that does one thing right or wrong. And I like that you don't take sides, but it's it's the issue is really with the system. And it's always going to lean 
I mean, not, I mean, not always, but depending on who is elected, you know, it's, it just seems like it's just going to keep going the way it's going. And certainly social media has probably exacerbated it, but it was yeah, probably. Had anyway. <laughs> yeah. And, and I, I think um, the line I like the best is in the bridge. And I say this as a history major and you think, boy, it's never been this bad, but you have the line about it. The, the howling wind comes rushing in. It's never been like this. You plead, but you know what? It's it's kind of probably always been like this, and we just never. Well, that line really leads more towards. I was thinking of like Hurricane Katrina. Okay, right. The water that was down at our feet is well up past our knees, and we shake our heads and we wring our hands, shouting, "Somebody help us, please!" And they smile and nod. It's like, here we are in the, the certain quarters of New Orleans and all the rich white people have been saved, but we're drowning over here and we're up on our roofs because we had to cut a hole in our roof to get out of our house so we didn't drown. And we're waving our hands saying, somebody help us. And the president's flying over in a helicopter. Mm -hmm. It's like, you know, there's content. We're thinking about doing a video for this song still and just basically having it being newsreels. Right. And you could go all the way back to Nixon and do stuff. Although people, contemporary people wouldn't understand that. Right. Still fit. Yeah, yeah, it would. It would still fit. So yeah. I was. Yeah, that's a good one. This is, it's, it's a world, it's a whirlwind. <laughs> so, so next song, we have two more, Promised Land. And <laughs> in a sense, to me, when I would listen to this, this seems like the next chapter of Evergreens, the, the song Evergreens, just taking a more holistic view of things rather than the one specific Tell me life of your life. Is that sound right or am I way off there? Yeah, it's fairly autobiographical. There are lines in this song that specifically pin to specific times in my life. I had my wife in mind when I was writing this song because she's been mm -hmm. with me pretty much the whole time. We've been together 28 years, almost 29. And, you know, it's, you know, from where we started and then when we moved and she followed me and I followed her, we went to all these places and, and the whole thing was, hey, stick with me. I'll, I'll get us there. You know, you got to trust me. And here we are. I'm 51 and I'm still saying, <laughs> still <laughs> trust me. Again, we're doing all right. It's been an adventure. We got two beautiful kids and, 
and I'm making music again. And, and although I'm not sure how stoked she is on that, um, <laughs> it's going to take me away. Um, but you know, that's how we always were. And, and to a certain extent, when you go away, when you come back, then sometimes things are better and stronger. So mm -hmm. they say, what is it? Absence makes the heart grow fonder. Yeah. And then, you know, we did all the stuff and then we moved back to where we started and, and, and here we are. So, and again, that was promised land was kind of written in a way to where I was thinking, and I know this is going to sound crazy. I could hear Kenny Chesney singing the song. Okay. There's, there's surf references in it. And you could take this song. We did it in almost sort of white bread sort of way, middle of the road production style. You could take this song and make it so Nashville country, it wouldn't even be funny. <laughs> you could probably take it in a totally opposite direction and make it more of a rock and roll song. You could make it into a Springsteen kind of song. So the way we did it was just kind of, you know, there was nothing. We didn't think the song was necessarily crazy special, although there's been a lot of people who have claimed it's their favorite song on the record. So I'm happy about that. But I, I would agree that if you listen to the, the thought, the story and the idea behind Evergreens and the story and the idea behind Promised Land, you could definitely say they're related. The line that I like the best is in the second verse when you talk about, you know, this to the city living. We thought that we were old and that, that hit me because I don't know if it's as I get older, sometimes I feel younger. Maybe it's because you, the things that you worried about in your twenties just don't mean anything anymore because life is just different. You have more responsibilities. It is, I don't know, because that for some reason that resonated with me. Like, yeah, I, some... yeah, there's that's one way you could look at it. I mean, part of it's like you know, because as we were getting into our late twenties, you know, when you're 21, 22, obviously you think you know it all, and mm -hmm. then by the time you get to 27, 28, you're like, oh, I didn't know shit then, but boy, I know it now. And then you look back and you're like, you know, cut. We thought we were old at 27, right? You know, and then you get through your 30s and your 30s were a great time. You know, I had a lot of good time and learned a lot and did a lot of stuff. 40s were interesting because we started having kids and and I kind of I kind of dropped out of music for almost all my entire 40s. And then when I came back into it. Obviously, things have changed a lot, but I look back and I again, I'm, I'm always kind of taking stock in what where I've been and, and what I've learned and what I know. And many times I laugh at what I thought I knew back in the time in the day, you know, it's right. And then you see, for me, I've been in this, I've been playing with these guys and they're all in their twenties. And I look back, I look at them and I think to myself, like they'll say something or they'll do something. And I'll say to myself, should I explain to them? And then I'm like, no, they got to learn it on their own. There's mm -hmm. no way to tell someone about 
that part of life other than they have to just learn it and, and whether it's they have to make a mistake. Um, I w- if someone was going to do something that I thought would be harmful, I would try to talk them out of it or, you know, or at least tell them what I thought. But if it wasn't going to harm anyone, I would just be like, well, that's a life lesson you got to learn. Yeah. So. Yeah. That hangover will teach you a lesson at some point. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah, that's a tougher lesson. But. That is. <laughs> but, well, speaking of hangovers, uh, the last song is Last Call. And I don't know, it's the, not that it's about a hangover, but the last call, obviously, it refers to getting your last drink at the bar. But it seems like this song is about life on the road. So it's not necessarily about drinking or being about mm-hmm. last call or anything. It, about being life on the road, the answer is yes, totally. But really what it is is a somewhat of a parody. Because a lot of people who aren't musicians and a lot of people who don't go on tour even musicians that don't go on tour, because there's a lot of people that play music that just stay local. They never go on tour. And I think a lot of people think when you go on tour, it's some sort of glamorous, lovely thing. And there's like buffet lines for you. And there's chicks or guys, if you're a girl, Mm -hmm. this glamorous lifestyle, when in reality, it is the total opposite of that. It's driving 14 hours, having not showered in three days. And if you're in a band, that means there's four or five guys that haven't showered in three or four days. And someone's eating chili cheese dogs from freaking 7-Eleven in the van. And it's a rotten, gross experience. And then you get to a place and you have to sound check. And then you can't leave because all your gear is there. So you end up playing pool and someone always gets too hammered and then it's you know it's and you know you don't ever have a chance to really talk to anyone because you're always occupied and if it's a good tour then you have to go in and you have to do radio spots or you have to do an afternoon performance at a record store or a bookshop or a coffee house and then you and you're always beating the pavement and trying to do all the stuff and i try to tell my family they're like oh can we go it's like you would hate this (laughs) It's not, you don't get to see the towns. You drive forever. And half the time you have to drive at night to even get to the next place the next day. If you're, especially if you tour out of Seattle, Christ, then markets are 10 hours apart, you know? And it's not, it's not a fun thing. So I thought it was, I wrote that totally laughing tongue in cheek. And I was trying to see how insane I could make it sound. go but I'll be coming back this way before you know before the night is gone and the sun comes up thanks for taking me in making me grin but I gotta move on the time's slipping away and the night has passed and I knew just what you were thinking before you asked And I thought I did a pretty good job, although I did get a comment from someone who I was talking to who has toured at the different level, someone who has toured at the level of buses and planes. And we were talking about songs and we were talking about this song came up and I said, yeah, it's a parody on touring and how everyone thinks touring is when it's really not like that. And he looks at me and he goes, depends on what tour you're on. (laughs) And I'm like, 
well, okay, but I haven't been on those tours, so yeah. give me a break. Well, I enjoyed it. It sounded like you had fun recording it, too, in addition to writing it. It's my one of the things I like the best more than anything in the whole world is taking a finished song. And the funnest thing is when you get to work with guys like Jesse and Dave Palmer and like, you know, Joey Waronker played drums on the on the results, not typical record. And, you know, guys like Johnny Flower and Gabe Noel, they played bass and everyone goes in. And everyone just puts everything aside and works so hard on what you created. And it, you know, you start at 11 in the morning and you record for four or five hours. If I could make two records a year, if I could make one and a half records a year, and I got to do that a couple times a year for like different sessions and stuff, I would be the happiest guy in the world. Hmm. So well, I think a lot of us would be because I mean, this is, brilliant stuff so uh i want to be aware of your time so just want to as we wrap up i know we've already hit on that this that the evergreens is kind of a preview of your next album and we talked about this earlier so is there anything it sounds like it's still kind of wait and see on it's recorded right but it's just in terms no, of it's, not, it's not recorded yet the songs oh. are written oh, okay and so we're gonna take we're gonna take um there's one song that i just finished called I can't seem to drink her off my mind and it might change to Mike can't seem to drink you off my mind, but it's very, it's very, it sounds like a old George Jones song. Yeah. So there's, if there is going to be some of that very sort of, I'm still grasping at some of the old school country things, but there's also going to be a little bit more of a departure to more of the James Taylor. sort like staying, I'm staying away from the country realm, but it's and and, and and, and I think there's going to be a few songs that have a little bit more of an electric guitar bass on them as well. So it's kind of round it out and move it up a little bit. Um, I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be, there's, I mean, I look at some of the songs on the next record and I'm like, wow. And some of them are old. So I'm, I've dusted off some ones. You know, like I said, I took 10, 11 years off, 13 years off, something like that. I never stopped writing. Mm -hmm. I was writing the whole time. So again, I look forward to uh, probably talking to you again when we do yeah. the next um reach out maybe we'll do some pre-release stuff and we can send you some teasers and you can check it out and listen to them that'd be fun too that'd be awesome yeah definitely so uh, before that happens what's the best way for people to, to find you online and, and uh, you know well, to support you as an artist i know spotify is great for me as a fan but for an artist it's, it's great for the guy who runs spotify <laughs> <laughs> i don't even know his name but i know he makes more than i do off of spotify yeah. my website is ianjonesmusic.com and all my social media, so all my social media links are on the website, but they're all at Ian Jones Seattle. So if you go to YouTube, it's Ian Jones Seattle. If you go to Spotify, it's Ian Jones Seattle. Um, Instagram, Ian Jones Seattle. Facebook, Ian Jones Seattle. TikTok, Ian Jones Seattle, but there's nothing there because I haven't done it. <laughs> I just, I still feel like that's a kid's game. Yeah. But, um, I'm working on it. I Again, it's baby steps, right? Yeah. 
Well, fantastic. We'll, we'll, we'll push those out to the folks as well. So uh, thank you, Ian, for giving me so much of your time tonight. I know you've got a commitment later on, so I'll, I'll let you go here. I'm going to go play a show, so I'm excited. So thank you, Ian, for joining me. I hope you all enjoyed that as much as I did. Check Ian out at ianjonesmusic.com or Ian Jones Seattle on your various Twitter and Facebook and whatever else you all listen to these days. As for me, it's going to be a couple of weeks before I come back. You can subscribe on my podcast website, however you got here. You can follow me on Twitter at 4songs2 and just keep up with me. So anyway, talk to you all later.